0: Last time, I think even the episode before the meetup, we didn't provide a set time or place. And we (laughs) said, just follow the Twitter. We'll we'll mention it. It'll be fine. Well, here we are. It's September 17th. We're a month and a half away, and we are giving you a time and a place and a date for this event. Friday, November 4th, 7.30 p.m. We will be at the Mountain Bar again. Uh, It should be a good time. It was a great time last time, I will say. It was good. It was very fun.
1: A lot of beers were had. Many beers. Hangovers were created.
0: Today is Saturday, September 17th, and this is episode 24 of Do For A Win, the Atlantic City and Casino Biz Podcast. My name is Craig Stone. With me is Kyle Askin. Howdy. Uh, First off, I just want to say thanks for all the positive feedback from episode 23, which was the comp harvesting episode where we had Eric Rosenthal on. Uh, The feedback has been incredible. The plugs from other people, from other podcasts, uh, Vegas Fanboy in particular, gave us a very, very kind plug on his most recent episode. So it was very cool to see all the uh positive response to that and people saying that uh, they thought it was our best episode yet. So we'll try to keep that up for you and, and not let you down with a big, you know, coming off a big win and then, you know, you go come out with a stinker or something like that. Hopefully that's not what episode 24 is. So this is going to be our letdown game, basically, is what you're... A trap game. Yeah. Yeah, we're playing the last place team here. The news. The news is the last place team. Um, So speaking of the news, and speaking of last place sort of news, uh, if you can call it that, the city has failed to approve a dissolution plan for the Water Authority. And if you've been following, that is required for the state loan. So that actually had to be done by September 14th. It is now September 17th, and that has not happened. So the city has violated the terms of the state loan. Uh, I will link to a Christian Hetrick article about this, uh, probably also an Amy S. Rosenberg article. So the city and Don Guardian has asked the state for a reprieve As of Friday, the state has not made a decision. They're saying they're reviewing everything and discussing their options. Marty Small, the Atlantic City Council president, has basically said, or he did say, this is a quote, uh, that it shows we can't make the tough decisions necessary. So that's a pretty damning quote. What do you think, Kyle? Uh, Is Atlantic City totally boned here, or uh, is the state going to show some mercy and not just step right in and take over? Uh, I don't know. I have no
1: idea. Um, It certainly doesn't reflect well on them, that you know, they didn't do the steps that were necessary for them, not just to lose control of the city immediately. But, uh, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, this doesn't seem great, but I think for now nothing has happened yet, so I will stick by my uh, tried-and-true... I don't really have too much to say until something actually happens.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can't... Uh, so one of the things that happened in this whole bullshit about the municipal utility uh, is that at some point, the city council actually voted to basically rescind the agreement to take the loan. So they actually voted and got a majority saying, like, let's go back and tell them that we don't actually accept the loan. And that was nonsense. Like, it didn't mean anything. It was too late to do that. (laughs) So even though they got that vote to go through, uh, the city council, I don't remember who it was, Marty Small or Don Guardian, basically said, like, you can't do that. We've already accepted it. Like, the time to do that was months ago. Uh, So that didn't mean anything. But it did make it pretty clear to me, at least, that there are many members of the city council who never wanted the loan or didn't want the loan with these terms, perhaps even prefer bankruptcy over the loan with the terms that the state provided. And I think there's definitely a sense that the state came in with these regulations or these restrictions on the loan that were basically set up to make the city fail. That being said, this was not, in my mind, one of the harder things for the city to figure out. And they couldn't figure it out. And they had plenty of chances. I mean, they had, this thing was this thing went up for a vote or was on the agenda at least I think five times, and they never got yeah, the thing passed. Like they never even moved it forward. So, not a good look for the city. I think if the city council is trying to say that oh we're you know fighting the good fight here and drawing a line in the sand or whatever, they're going to end up looking foolish in the long run. But uh, I don't know. We'll see where this goes with the state. Yeah, I mean, I think like you said, I mean, I think it's
1: not entirely unreasonable to be like, ah, we're just not going to do this because whatever, like, we didn't want this loan anyway, which I think is kind of the opinion of, of the four city council members that have consistently not voted for this. But, uh, I mean, I, I don't know. We'll We'll see. I mean, we'll see what the state decides to do. But I think if they continue on like this, they're just going to lose the city to the state.
0: Yeah, I mean, it certainly seems like they've started down that path. So we'll see if the, the state takes advantage or if they give them a little bit more of a leash. Uh, so in other state news that revolves around long, annoying legislation, annoying depending on who you are in the, uh, <laughs> in the process, uh, Polo North, which is Glenn Straub's company, presented their site plan to the Casino Reinvestment Development Authority uh land use division, so not the whole CRDA, just the land use division on September 8th. And that meeting started out well enough and <laughs> seems like the opinion about Revel's uh site plan or, or Polo North site plan for the Revel property was pretty positive until they asked for a uh plan for landscaping and at that point, Glenn Strab, who was in the audience and who, uh, according to Nicholas Huba from the press of Atlantic City, was at least had his eyes closed and possibly dozing off <laughs> during the meeting, uh, got quite displeased and stormed out of the meeting, had some choice words for the CRDA, basically saying that they're putting up all this red tape, but now they're asking for a landscaping plan for a hundred some odd thousand plants and he threatened to withdraw the application i think he actually said withdraw and kind of stormed out like it was some sort of you know procedural drama on tbs <laughs> uh Straub, straub's attorney requested that the hearing continue <laughs> so he did not withdraw the application
1: they actually asked him. They asked the attorney at the end. So they're like, "Are we? Should we just assume that you are not withdrawing your application?" And he's like, "Correct.
0: <laughs> yes,
1: the attorney was.
0: That, that is of course." So, uh, it was weird. Sort of the end of this. Everybody was or everybody, I shouldn't say everybody. It's a straw man argument. Uh, There are certainly people tweeting and saying things like, oh, landscaping is holding this up, this is crazy, and now Revel's being delayed even more and all this stuff. But we don't really know for sure that Revel is being delayed more. Uh, Both Nick Cuba and Amy S. Rosenberg reported that the land use division will be sending their recommendation to the full CRDA board, for consideration at the September 20th a meeting, so that's this Tuesday. Uh, so who knows if they're just going to send something saying, like, well, this was great, but there was no landscaping plan, so, you know, back to square one, or if they're just going to say, eh, yeah, whatever, and go forward, or who knows, or give some provisional thing. I have no clue. I've looked for the reporting. I couldn't figure it out. So I don't really know what's going to happen at that September 20th meeting. Uh, I'm guessing that people are just assuming it's going to fail without the landscaping plan because everybody... Again, I say everybody, which is not accurate at all. <laughs> Come on, Craig. I thought you're a journalist. Yeah, <laughs> you should know
1: better than to use uh, brutal words like everyone and no one. Yeah. And
0: no, you've got to use people, not some people or most people. You just say people, right. and then it implies that you're saying everyone. Like everybody takes that as saying everyone. So like, but you're not. People say that the landscaping plan is holding this up, and then everybody who reads that thinks. Oh, everybody's saying this, but in reality, as long as two people are saying it, then you're covered. So I will say people are saying that a landscaping plant is holding this thing up. Uh, so there's your journalism lesson for the day in how to skirt the ethics of journalism. So I don't know what to say about this I mean at one point Straub said something about like oh I blew up six city blocks in Miami because they couldn't get it done and talking obviously about how difficult New Jersey is as compared to other states which it is notoriously very difficult to uh, run businesses in New Jersey I, you know they keep talking about timelines for opening October September June none of those seem like they're going to happen um, I don't know where are you at I don't know if there's anything else to say or, or are we just sort of Sitting here waiting for something to happen
1: Yeah I mean I think it's kind of the same thing It's you know I don't want to Sort of play down All the news we always talk about But I mean this is the same as always Sort of the government's holding up Glenn Straub Glenn Straub makes it, like, this huge scene out of it I don't know It's business as usual uh I'm still going on the smart thing to do would be open in, in spring of 2016 so or 2017 I mean
0: So there's certainly a couple sides here at play and one of those is that you know Straub didn't have the paperwork in when he said he was going to open in June 15th on June 15th Correct. so yeah like no paperwork was it i think Right so that was always kind of a pipe dream um So you know, on the one hand, you could rightly say, well, Straub hasn't done his due diligence to get the paperwork in and make this happen. And then obviously the other side of that is that the CRDA, the state process where you've got multiple agencies that you've got to go through, makes this unnecessarily difficult. And if you're in the camp of let's get development going and, and not try to hold anything up and let's just do it and see what happens – that sort of bureaucracy is much more damaging and you're much more sort of railing against that than maybe saying, like, oh, well, Straub should have come in and, and figured all this out in the first place. I think the truth is, I mean, the truth in both of those things, I think the, the reality is probably somewhere between the two where there's just plenty of blame to go around. It almost feels to me like the CRDA is, like, sticking it to Straub just a little bit and, like, I maybe wouldn't say that except that it does sort of feel like Bart Bladstein is kind of their chosen developer at this point and that they've in, – in seemingly any concern over maybe Straub and Blatstein want the same land, Blatstein just seems to win by default. So, so I do feel like I can see where Straub's getting frustrated. I think he's brought some of that on himself. I think he's brought a good amount of it on himself by not, <laughs> <laughs> by not getting paperwork in, but I can also see where he's frustrated that just the amount of time that this is taking things that should be pretty straightforward, like site plans and landscaping plans are holding this up. Um So, but I mean,
1: I don't know. On the other hand, he certainly had every opportunity to get this paperwork in order. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I see what you're saying, but I, I'm not sure. I mean, I think, I think the things you said were, were true, and there were certainly cases like with the volleyball courts between the Showboat and the Revel, which we talked about, I don't know, 10, 15 episodes ago, where it does kind of seem like maybe uh, Bart Blatstein is the chosen one. But on the other hand, I think that the insinuation that, that the CRDA has anything to gain by not allowing the Rebel to open, I mean, I think they've got everything to gain. So I'm sure that they want it to be open as well, I assume.
0: Yeah, yeah, I don't really see, unless they First feel like it's just, just absolutely destined to fail. <laughs> right. Um, but, I mean, which they might, who knows. Mm. So, speaking of Blatstein, uh, there was a rumor sort of buried in a Huffington Post article that was actually about timeshares in Atlantic City and focusing on mostly fantasy resorts, which uh, was by Laura Goldman in the Huffington Post. But in the middle of this article, there's a brief portion about Bart Blatstein, and it's kind of talking about the investment opportunities in Atlantic City. And one of the things that it mentions is that he is also in talks with Carl Icahn about taking over the Trump Plaza. And... This is kind of a surprising thing to throw in the middle of an article that is not the lead. I mean, I feel like if this was written by somebody who covered Atlantic City for a living, it would have been the first lead in there. I mean, it's a it would be a big deal. I mean, you've got a closed property and somebody who's buying up a ton of property now talking about possibly purchasing it. Um the thing the the goal of sort of this talk was to add parking capacity for the playground. And uh, I just want to thank Mark in the Facebook group who actually tipped us off to this, to not only to the article, but specifically to this point in the article. He kind of said, like, oh, well, this is is news. And to me, this seems like kind of a big deal. But I have questions. Like, would – first of all, would Blatstein really buy Trump Plaza just for the parking? Like, would he pay whatever it's going to take to get Trump Plaza just for the parking, which – you know, there was a $20 million bid that got turned down by Icon – who knows if he's come off of that price since then? You know, that was a couple years ago. And the other question is would he buy the Trump Plaza and actually only use the parking garage? Which is, to me, sort of a terrifying proposition, right? Like, I, if somebody's going to buy one of the closed properties, I want them to have a plan for it beyond just, oh, okay, I want the parking garage and I'm just going to keep everything else dark. Do you have any thoughts about either of those questions? Like, would he really do this? Is this? Is there any
1: smoke here? I mean, I think that Bart Bladstein has turned out to be also, like, fairly erratic in some of the things he's been buying. And, you know, who knows what he's doing with. You know, like we've talked, to, like I just mentioned, the, the volleyball courts between Showboat and Revel, the big fight over the, uh, the pier right outside, sort of between Showboat and Revel. Um, so, I don't know, I mean, he bought the showboat, and hasn't really done too much with it, though it is technically open. So, I have no idea.
0: Yeah, I mean, we'll talk, actually, about showboat in a second, but, uh, I mean, the, the one thing I'll say is I think that... Uh, so, look,
1: uh... Go ahead. Something that I have... <laughs> Sorry about that, <laughs> I just... My brain, my brain broke a little bit, but uh, something that I have to say is that uh, it it is an interesting idea to sort of buy this piece of property and kind of hold it as a piece of property. And like sort of traditionally in real estate development, when you do that, you do use it as parking while you're kind of waiting to figure out what your best option is. And it's nice that there's already a parking garage there. Obviously, he wouldn't have to do anything necessarily to even open it up for quite a bit of parking. So I'm not sure. I mean, I think it, it makes some level of sense if you think about it. Oh, yeah. Sort of run it, run it for three months out of the year and just kind of wait and figure out what he wants to do with the plaza. Or start taking the plaza apart slowly while he's doing this
0: yeah I, I mean, I definitely think there's a level of sense there, and a big part of that is that the price is so low that there's not a whole lot to lose and i I actually will say I think that's actually kind of the danger of of the point that Atlantic City's at now, um, which we've seen a little bit with with showboat and arguably even the playground, which is that the price is so low that you can buy something, you don't really have to do a lot of development. And and do something that's going to make something cool that people actually care about, like you know, a parking garage at the Trump Plaza that's just for the playground is not terribly exciting and is not bringing anybody into Atlantic City specifically for that, obviously. Whereas if some, something- I mean,
1: I I don't know what 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 prices they're talking about because uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think the last price that I heard offered for Trump Plaza, which was a long time ago, was like. $15 million? And Icon said no, right? Yeah, Does that sound right? I can't view? remember
0: if it was 15 or 20 but it was definitely rejected. I think
1: it was $15. And Icon said yeah. no. So, I mean, obviously, I think at prices like that, just the, the property should be worth that. But it is Atlantic City, so who knows? I mean, what do you pay for Showboat? 23
0: Yeah, something in that neighborhood. I mean, I do think there is a concern... That when stuff is that cheap, people can buy things and sort of say, "Well, just you know, ride out, ride out the storm, and I don't actually have to do that much development, and I'll wait for somebody else to come in and do the development, and then my property be worth more, and then I can sell it." But that, which which is probably a sound investment strategy, it just doesn't do much to actually move the city forward and, and make well stuff that people want to go to.
1: Great, right. it's a sound investment strategy as long as like someone is actually doing something there. If everyone does that and it just sits on it, then the property's worthless. So, right.
0: So the other thing about the showboat is that Blatstein was at the International Council of Shopping Centers conference on Tuesday, which was in Atlantic City, telling all these shopping center folks that Atlantic City is a great investment opportunity, and. He called it Make Atlantic City Great Again, which is kind of a little obvious. <laughs> it's timely, Greg. It it's a timely he's, thing to he's say. He's so, so timely. Uh, <laughs> and he did say about Showboat that I can't tell you what I'm going to do with it, but it's going to be amazing. Uh, so no detail there. And Nicholas Huba was tweeting this whole thing kind of with these platitudes that Blatstein was saying about how great AC was and how you can't lose if you invest there. And I asked him, just saying, like, come on, he, he didn't give anything more than that. And, and uh, Nicholas Huba said, no, even beforehand in uh speaking with him just one-on-one, very little detail. So not much coming out about Showboat. Apparently there are plans that will be a bigger deal than... This than what we've seen, which is some temporary walls around the casino floor, lights out at the uh, House of Blues Casino or House of Blues Theater, and all that stuff. So hopefully, we're going to see some more. I guess the question is, what does Bart Blatstein qualify as amazing? (laughs) And hopefully, we'll see some plans coming for that. But you know, how much faith do you have that what is going on at Showboat will actually be amazing in the future?
1: But certainly what we have seen so far has not been impressive. So hopefully uh, sort of bigger, better things come. I I would guess it's kind of what was originally speculated for the property when he first bought it before anything had happened, which was like, you know, nightclubs, uh, restaurants, maybe like a small gaming area. But I have no idea.
0: So I guess my question is, is there for Blatstein an opportunity here to actually add a casino, which I know we've seen – sort of the idea that it's not going to be a casino for the most part, but uh, hes I don't think he's ever come out and said he, didn't, he never wants to have a casino at Showboat. So with Taj closing, with Revel held up, is there an opportunity to jump in and be the eighth casino? Is that attractive for him? Or, you know, we've seen the red tape. is that Does that just take too long and probably not going to happen?
1: If he really wanted to be the eighth casino operator, he probably could, but... I don't think there's any reason to even begin thinking about that until the spring, so I'm not sure what advantage that would have.
0: Yeah, I guess. I I mean, it seems unlikely just because he's never really mentioned an interest in it. Uh, You know, you'd think at some point there would be some ruminations (laughs) that he's he's interested in running a casino or opening up the casino floor at Showboat, but we haven't heard anything about what his plans are going to be for that big space and showboat was you know you walked in and it was a big rectangular casino uh and we haven't heard any plans for that at all so uh it's weird it's weird to that that we're at this point where now there's what seven or eight months until the peak season again and we just have no idea what's going to happen but i guess once actual development starts we'll start to get a better idea
1: yeah we'll see i mean like i said i don't think the plan was ever to open a Big casino there anyway, so there's not really a reason to have a small casino there, I think, with nothing else. So I think he's going to do whatever development he's going to do first.
0: So spe- we mentioned the Taj, and speaking of the Taj, they have filed the paperwork to close on October 10th. So it seems like they're going to close at, I can't remember, either 5 or 6 a.m. on the 10th, which I think is a Monday. And this is not terribly surprising. We've talked about this. The, they've announced these plans before. They just hadn't filed the necessary paperwork, and now they have. But the interesting thing is that we have heard rumblings in the Facebook group, uh, basically saying that it's possible that Vitaj will reopen in five or six months and come back for next peak season, so next summer, next spring, really. And... Several Facebook commenters have mentioned that. Uh, They've said waiters, dealers, floor personnel. Somebody said they talked to a long-term employee. Uh, All of these people saying that Taj could be closing in October just to reopen in March or April as a new entity. Some points that were made that I think are especially worth mentioning. Uh, Michelle in the group pointed out that It would allow Carl Icahn to sort of wait out the vote on the North Jersey casinos. And if that goes favorably for Atlantic City, which would be unfavorably for the referendum, (laughs) it it becomes much more likely, I think, that Carl Icahn finds a way to reopen the Taj Mahal. Mark, who we've already mentioned once (laughs) in this episode... Mentioned that it would allow them to do some renovations very quickly, because obviously you can do renovations much faster when you don't have any occupancy and you're not, you know, filing through people, uh, in and out of the casino. Eric mentioned that, uh, he spoke to someone who was saying that there are pretty significant tax benefits to closing and then reopening in the new year as a separate entity. So that, is is an interesting thought. So, you know, you, Carl Icahn, you've got to think, has thought about all these things. And the one thing that a lot of people seem to be pretty confident about is that if this happens, it would either be a union-busting move, meaning they close and they reopen and it's non-union, or... The union comes back with, with a worse deal than what they were getting or what, not necessarily what they were getting before the Taj, but what they're, what they're getting at the other casinos. Uh, obviously we've discussed this most favored operator clause, uh, a couple of times on the podcast. Just a quick refresher. That means, that clause means that basically if the union at one casino accepts a worse deal than is uh, at other casinos that they have in place at other casinos, Uh every other casino can adopt the collective bargaining agreement at the, the casino that has this sort of bad deal for the union. So do you think that these are re- realistic scenarios, like c- reopening non-union or, or union with a worse deal, are these plausible? Can you see Taj being back open come... Uh, Memorial Day 2017? Maybe. I mean, it, it
1: seems like here that there's enough smoke that uh, they could be something that's being planned, or at least people are talking about. Uh, like you said, it, it sounds like a lot of the people in the Taj think that that's probably what's going to happen. So I wouldn't be surprised if they try to reopen as non-union, but, you know, I I think it was... In the Facebook group, it was mentioned that Rebel was initially opened as non-union, and then just as soon as it opened, all the employees joined the union. So uh, I don't know if it would work or not, but I don't know. We'll see.
0: It's definitely possible that it will reopen. I'm a little concerned that these rumors uh, sort of gain legs out of hope. You know, like a bunch of waitresses and dealers, obviously... It would uh, help them if, if the Taj were to reopen and it's juicy and it's a fun thing to, to talk about. So it wouldn't be that surprising if it sort of like gained legs and people are sort of gossiping about it at the tables. So I, I'm not going to sort of take that at face value and just say like, oh, OK, yeah, I, I think that's the plan. But I, I expect that it's probably been talked about. Um, my, my thing about the union stuff is I'm concerned that the union would make life hell. For Taj If it opened as a non-union shop Like I think that they would be there picketing And it would just make things Very difficult The other thought I had about that Though is that You know Bob McDevitt The president of, of Local 54 Has said that They couldn't possibly accept a worse deal They couldn't accept what the Taj offered And what Icon offered to the Taj Employees because of this most Favored operator clause But at the end of the day, I think they, A, could accept it and, B, could accept it feeling fairly confident that if, say, Caesars or Borgata or Tropicana came in and said, "Okay, well, we're going to adopt the Taj's crappy CBA now, they would know that they could then go make it very difficult for those casinos and really hurt the bottom line, possibly more than whatever they would gain by taking the deal. So maybe that's totally naive on my part. And I'm not thinking in terms of like big business and the cutthroat nature of Caesars and Carl Icahn and all these actors in Atlantic City. But I think that it's not as simple as just taking the CBA and saying, "Well, we're plugging and playing. We have a be- we see that this this is more favorable for us, so we're going to take it." I don't think it's that easy, and I think the union knows it's not that easy. So I do think it's possible that they would take a worse deal, lip
1: I don't think that's right. No? <laughs> yeah. Well. Uh, I Like, did you, was that something you read somewhere that people were talking no, about? No, no, I'm pulling I,
0: this totally out I, of my ass, Kyle.
1: I think that the millisecond they signed something like that, every single casino in Atlantic City goes to that deal. And then what? Are they going to pick at every single casino? and?
0: So if that's true, though, then why do they even have to negotiate individually with casinos? If the market is that like efficient, <laughs> right? Then why aren't they just? Why isn't every casino coming to the table all at once and negotiating their deal? Like why even have to work with everyone? Individually? I
1: think I think they basically do. I mean, they I think they basically sign the same deal with everyone. I mean, they actually do because if they didn't, then the casinos would just pick whatever the best deal that was signed was. And I don't think this is, this isn't like a weird thing. Like a lot of collective bargaining, they have these most favored nation clauses. Like this is fairly common. I think it's just I I think that 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 if they ever sign something with with Taj that could legally be be you know used in the other casinos, all the casinos would would take it immediately. I mean, it's millions of dollars of savings.
0: I mean, but we've seen millions of dollars in damage done. <laughs> like, to Taj. To every family.
1: casino, though? Like, how does that help the union, too? Yeah. Uh, the, I, think, I think the union absolutely cannot sign that deal with the Taj.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're right. The power is that, in for Caesars, or really for everyone, they say, well, we've got seven casinos total who are all going to accept the deal. Like, what are you going to do?
1: All right. And, of course, collusion's illegal, but all the
0: casinos are going to accept. Yeah. When, when, the, when it's a situation that obvious... Right. Yeah,
1: that's true. It's obviously better for everyone to accept it. I mean, it's we've talked about this kind of stuff before. I mean, it's just I strongly disagree. I think the union really cannot sign that deal with the Taj unless they get some exemption from every other casino, saying that they would not use it, or you know, something else. I don't know. Is that totally out of the question? Probably. I mean, think about it. It makes sense for the casinos to require that. That clause in there because else it's like I don't know the union somehow can pick winners and losers and like let's just hypothetically say that there's like a union owned casino and they give themselves better a better deal or something you know which isn't a thing that would happen but
0: okay ignore my ignore right. my rant
1: <laughs> well, I don't know I mean it's fine it's just I you know and I'm not like a collective bargaining expert and you know I don't I'm not in a union or whatever but but for me I, I think that is the union cannot sign the, the Taj deal.
0: So, I mean, I guess the other question is they got their benefits rolled back, right? hmm Yep. But every other casino didn't say, oh, well, you got your benefits but rolled back. But
1: they, it they wasn't – the court did that. Sure. It wasn't something it they wasn't signed. The it was, it was the, the, the court forced all the rollbacks.
0: Right. But when that happened, the union did bring out the most favored uh, – actor clause they did say like oh well you can't do this because it's every other casino is going to be able to do that and that just wasn't true at all at the time yeah i think the court was just like no that's not how it works anyways it's too complicated for me to comprehend obviously mm. uh, speaking of things that are complicated wow that's a terrible segue because that's not accurate at all <laughs> uh so well it was complicated because predicting the weather is very complicated As we saw on Labor Day, which was potentially a hurricane or tropical storm, they canceled the Florida-Georgia line and Blink-182 beach concerts. Uh, And then the storm just kind of no-showed. Like, there was some wind, and I think the surf was a little rough, but not too bad. The weather, it didn't even rain. Like, the weather was kind of windy. It was really windy. If you watched Miss America, you saw them do their intros in full blown wind tunnel mode, but, uh, it really ended up being fairly nice over Labor Day weekend. And it kind of ended up being sort of a dud for Atlantic city because they canceled these concerts. Uh, I'm interested to see how this impacts September's gambling revenue. Cause I think it was probably pretty bad. Um, you know, cause normally obviously Labor Day would be the biggest weekend in September by far. Uh, And Facebook group uh, member Mark, who now can count three mentions in this episode, (laughs) said that he had some comps pop up for him uh, pretty close to Labor Day when it seemed like the weekend was going to be a total washout. So, you know, typically Saturday, Sunday nights of Labor Day weekend are exorbitant uh, at the casinos. And the fact that comps started popping up late is a pretty bad sign that a lot of people were canceling or the casino's expected a lot of no shows and started offering uh deals to players. How bad do you think this is for the casinos and for the other merchants in Atlantic City? Like is this is this something that's totally like screwing your entire year or is it like, uh, you know, maybe it's only something that messes with you for a couple weeks and you're fine?
1: Uh it's probably not a good thing. Um Do you think that it's bigger than, like, a generic weekend in July? I would think not. Oh, I would think yes. You would would think yes? Sure. It's, like, one of the biggest travel weekends of the year. Yeah. Yeah, so it's probably quite bad.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think... I do wonder how many of the big players really would get scared off, because... You know, they all have free rooms and free cancellation. So like, what difference does it make for them? Just wait it out and see. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Um, unless they're like, ah, oh, well, cancel will go to Vegas or some other destination or like Myrtle Beach or something that's not having this issue. Uh, but you know, the Hamptons, uh, but, uh, I don't know. I mean, we, I, I think we'll see when the data comes out in October, uh, if this was damaging. I know we saw when the data came out for August that it was down a little bit, and there was some hand ringing saying, like, oh, what made this happen? And somebody, I think it might have been Mark again, <laughs> pointed out that, oh, well, there were five weekends in august of 2015 and only four weekends in august of 2016 which strangely is something that i had never thought about in all our years of looking at the month by month data like how (laughs) big a difference does it make to have a five weekend month one 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 year and then the same month as a four weekend month another year which would happen fairly regularly i mean i think five months out of every 12 or five weekend months so or four at least so to then change that, you know, we so we we very frequently leak look at the year over year, like August twenty sixteen is compared to August twenty fifteen, because that seems like the most obvious comparison, but as we see, sometimes not equivalent at all. So I thought that was interesting.
1: Yeah, no, i I mean I, I commented on it, and I'm like, yeah, this is actually the reason why all the numbers went down. I, I would guess. Like, my personal just wild guess coming out of my butt, basically, is that it probably makes like a 10 or 12% difference. From, for the, uh... Five weekends versus four? Yeah,
0: that's probably about right.
1: I'd say 10% would be my guess.
0: Sure, let's go with it.
1: Because people do go during the week,
0: just not as many as on the weekend. Yeah, I wouldn't think it's even close. Mm -hmm. Uh, totally changing gears here. We saw an article talking about millennials, which is the hot topic, millennials and gambling. Uh, If you follow the Vegas Twitters, it's all about millennial marketing. Uh, So there's a study basically saying that millennials spend two-thirds less on gambling in Atlantic City than older visitors. And so this is on calvinair.com. I don't know if it's air or ire, but I'll link to it. Uh, And it's kind of interesting, like talking about Defining millennials as 21 to 35, which is typically about the ages you hear for millennials, maybe actually a little younger than 21 even, but obviously that doesn't really mean anything for gambling because you have to be 21. And a couple of quotes I just wanted to point out from the article. Uh, they say, survey authors question two millennial focus groups, one comprised of people in their early 20s and the other made up of late 20s and early 30s and found that gambling wasn't even mentioned until the author specifically brought up the subject. So these are people who visit Atlantic City, millennials, which we are apparently in that group, you and I, Kyle. Indeed. Uh, and they, didn't even, like, they don't even think about Atlantic City as like a gambling destination. It is a drinking and going-to-the-club destination.
1: Right, which I think is right. I mean, you've spent a lot of time on the bus, right?
0: Yes. It's, there are not many millennials. Seems to be what people are doing, Well, there right? aren't a whole lot of millennials on the bus, for one thing. Well,
1: unless you're coming home at 4 a.m. from Trump, right?
0: That is true. Then it's all millennials.
1: Yeah, coming home from the bar. That's bars. good point. Uh,
0: so the other question was, if money was no object, what – I mean, there were more questions than this in the survey, obviously. But the other one I wanted to point out is – um, saying if money was no object, what would you spend more on? And 35% of the, of the millennials said that they would spend more on gambling, whereas 50% of the people over 35 said that they would. Uh, I think you and I, Kyle, would both go into the definitely more on gambling <laughs> group, maybe, I would yeah. expect. I certainly would. Yeah. Why not? Uh money's no object. Why not use it to make more money? <laughs> that's it's like Thank that's how that works it. right um, so apparently let me just quote the article again the greatest disparity the greatest disparity on this chart came from bars and nightclubs as 50% of millennials said they'd spend more getting plastered versus just 17% of the over 35s so here we see really again the millennials their goal is to go to Atlantic City and get drunk at the clubs uh Which is, again, not surprising. I think we knew this.
1: Right. And they're, I mean, I'll have to say, like, people over 35, I mean, probably have enough money to get as drunk as they want anyway, so.
0: Yeah, that's a good point.
1: It's not like you can get more drunk if you have more money, right? (laughs) You can (laughs) You get drunk
0: off, like. You can get higher quality drunk, but not more drunk. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you're drinking, like, $25 cocktails instead of whatever, Boone's Farm.
1: Right. I mean, also, you know, I I mean, a lot of it is also, I think when you're younger, and I don't think this has anything to do with generations, it just has to do with your age, but when you're younger, obviously, like, you know, it's like a status thing, whatever, get bottle service or get, you know, whatever, you know. Make it so all your friends are able to drink and it's much less important, I think, when you're older. Just because your life is different. Yeah. When you have... A wife and kids and things like that.
0: Right. And this, so this article kind of posted this as saying, look, this is terrible for Atlantic City. Like, this is bad news long term. There's no gambling revenue coming in. You're not going to, you know, as you lose these over 35s to their inevitable death coming sooner than they can possibly imagine. The millennials are not going to pick up the gambling dollar that these people are leaving behind. Um, I thought that was an interesting way of looking at it, and we've seen that in other studies, too, where you know younger people don't play slots nearly as much, and... Older people play slots, and there's some debate about, like, well, when you hit 40, do you just magically decide that you need slots in your life so you become a slot player, which some casinos seem to think? Or do the casinos need to do more to draw younger people into slots or, you know, figure out how to get their money in other ways? I think that there's part of that here, which is, you know what do these, what will these people do when they hit 35? Like, are they going to decide to start gambling more and drinking less? And if not, you know, how do you attract that money, right? So, so one of the things you actually mentioned is the sort of state of, of where you are in your life, right? Like a, a 35 or a 40-year-old is in a very different state than a 21-year-old. And so the article kind of assumes that longer term, this is a bad thing for the casinos because of the revenue. But like talking about how people 21 to 35 are more interested in getting plastered. Well, like that's because they're people 21 to 35. I don't think that has anything to do with the fact that they're millennials. Right. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) Like I would guess that people 21 to 35, 20 years from now and people 21 to 35, 20 years ago, also like getting plastered. Also liked getting plastered. So so what I would be right. really interested to see is how this data compares to the same age groups, but like from the nineties or from the eighties, when those people who are now like fifty were in this age group of of twenty one to thirty five, and would you see this sort of same disparity? In which case, like okay, well then then it's just business as usual, right? Like if If everybody is saying the same things and it's just totally age-based and as you age, you shift into other things, then I don't think it really is that nerve-wracking at all for Atlantic City or for Vegas or for any gambling destination what millennials think about these particular questions. If millennials are just not interested in gambling at all or interested in a way, way lower rate than previous generations were when they were in this age group of 21 to 35, then it's a concern. So this article didn't answer that question for me.
1: Right, and I I think that... I don't think we really know. I think that a lot of it is just as you get older, your interests change. However, I do have to say that I believe somewhat, at least, that as the current generation that we're a part of and people younger than us, I think that slot machines may not be... As profitable in the future as we get older, as they were in the past, simply because we've had uh, sort of grown up with a different sort of entertainment with things like video games, and I think that if you've played a lot of video games, it makes slots perhaps like a bit less interesting, which is why I mean they mentioned it in the article, but you know there's been a lot, a lot, a lot of talk throughout vegas throughout the whole industry about school based gaming which i think is much more up the alley of people who grew up with video games so i i hate well, i do think there will have to be some change but uh how much that's going to matter i'm not sure
0: yeah yeah it'll be interesting to see i i definitely agree i don't think that I think that if there's this idea that people are magically becoming slot players as they age, like if they hit 40 or 50 and, and want to play slots, I just don't think that's true at all. Um, so you definitely need to evolve. I don't know if that's skill-based or if it's gamification. Like, are you going to get a badge when you get five like five of a kind in slots? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I I do have to say um, I'm a bit surprised that
1: you could... Uh, like if the casinos were really on top of things, they could make like their tier credits, like their cards. It could be a lot more um, Skinner box, like a lot more like Zynga like.
0: Yeah, badges, leaderboards. I oh, can't. Yeah. I cannot like, believe it is not. Just be happened. like,
1: hey, you have to put like fifteen more credits in, right? Like, if you get fifteen more credits today, we'll give you whatever five dollars for food or something. Like when it when you take your card out,
0: I, I don't know. Yeah, and, and
1: I. They could do a lot more there, which I'm actually happy they haven't because you can argue that that's not really what society needs. But
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I can't believe it hasn't happened. I mean, I just
1: I, I also can't like they've really been you know they need to get some people in who who have taken classes on things like like Skinner boxes, which are what a lot of games are becoming these days. But that's a whole different conversation.
0: So. I mean, for one thing, like just look at something like Zynga slots on the phone. Like, what makes someone play a free slot game on the phone that doesn't give them any? Like, it's not like MyVegas where you're getting rewards that you can use in in Las Vegas or at, at Borgata now. Um, there's no real benefit to this. You're just sitting there spinning slots because you're getting a badge or you are competing against other people in your whatever it's called, Game Center or whatever the heck on I, iOS. Uh, mm mm-hmm. And none of that's been adapted, which is kind of surprising, but that's a conversation for, for yes, the future, right. I think. Yep. <laughs> because I think, I mean, it has to be coming, I would think, but it's too obvious. So too. But I, you know, I thought it was too obvious two years ago and it hasn't happened. So, yep. Uh, I have something in here about sports books. I don't know if you want to touch on that for two minutes or just move on. Mm-hmm. No, we can talk sure. about it. I don't have much to say, but you can say your piece of okay, it. Okay, so Caesars Palace in Las Vegas has started charging $75 for a chair to watch NFL on Sundays. And with that, you get five drinks. Uh, they also offer VIP seating for $300. This, uh, I saw this on Twitter from Mark Meltzer. You can read a whole article on it on frontdesktip.com written by Mark Meltzer. Uh, who's actually also a writer for travelzork.com. Uh, and what this had me thinking about was, why doesn't Atlantic City just have sports books but without the betting? Like, if people are gonna pay 75 bucks just to come in and sit down and watch football all day, like, why not just do that and cut out the betting portion? Right? Because obviously the sports betting thing has been dragged out in court forever and doesn't seem to be coming to New Jersey anytime soon. But like, is there money to be made by setting up sort of big screen stadium seating pay to sit there, have a food and beverage minimum and people will come and sit and watch sports in Atlantic city casinos.
1: Not really. No, I mean, maybe, (laughs) but what's, what's the advantage of that over going to a bar for free and watching stuff? I mean, there's a big difference between Vegas and Atlantic City, and that's you go to the sportsbook in Vegas to make bets while you're watching the game. And I think without that, like, I don't think a sportsbook makes I bets. would
0: guess there are a lot of people in Vegas who go to these things and do not make a bet. That pay $75 for sure. a
1: chair and go and don't make a bet. But I there's probably some people who do, but I don't think a lot, and I don't think that... Or who makes such small bets that it's meaningless to the casino. But still, you know, they're betting. I don't... Like, would you ever pay for this?
0: No, but here's why. Not because of the betting thing. Because I go to Atlantic City for one or two nights at a time. So Mm. when I go to Vegas, I go for three or four, typically four nights at a time, sitting down and being there all day. I mean, I I would never do this for the NFL because I just can't sit through that much NFL football. But... The idea of going and being in Vegas for NFL or for March Madness or something like that has a mystique to it. And if you're there for five days, taking one day out of it to be in a sports book and and drink and you know sort of soak it in in Vegas, I think makes much more sense. If you're in Atlantic City for one day, if you're a day tripper, which makes up a significant amount of Atlantic City's visitation obviously you're not going to drive into Atlantic City just to do this when Buffalo Wild Wings mm. is down the street. Right. So I think that's tough. I, I do think I would be interested in seeing a trial run, but, like, the expense is so high. Why would they do it? I mean, unless the Borgata, which has a really nice race book, could try something like this on right. a Sunday in the winter when most of the races aren't happening anyway. Like, I would be interested in seeing something like that, but... As far as somebody actually building a sports book, like this idea of going somewhere and playing, unless they're setting up like Daily Fantasy Sports Terminals or something like that, or the casinos themselves, they're setting up a Daily Fantasy Sports Tournament. Ooh, now we're really getting into good ideas. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, you could, right? The casino could set up Daily Fantasy Sports where you're competing against other people who are sitting there in the room watching with you. Uh, yeah, you
1: could in theory do that. I guess uh,
0: not in New York, but no, in
1: New Jersey, I think now okay. New York's
0: reapproved it. It's fine again. Yeah. Oh really? Oh, it's yeah. back. So I don't know. I, yeah, I just don't think I don't think it's going anywhere because the DFS thing, when that first sort of cropped up, New Jersey was very quick to say like you can start doing this now, right? And all the casinos were kind of like eh let's wait and see what actually happens with this. And then they kind of never did anything with it. So I would be interested to see just because I'd be interested to see if anybody comes out, but I don't know. I mean, when we go in November, I I'll keep an eye out in the bars and see if everybody's sitting around watching football or if people are more interested in being on the casino floor. Cause that's what they went to Atlantic city for in the first place. Um, I mean, I do think there's definitely still a sense in, in Atlantic city casinos, um, for the most part that any time taking someone away from the casino floor is bad and this is taking people away from the casino floor for a very long period of time
1: with no actual benefit because there's no sports betting
0: well i mean if there's if they have to spend 75 bucks on a seat That's the benefit self-made. is exactly $75 <laughs> uh and i mean uh, there's a the benefit i think of if you're creating an atmosphere where people want to come and want to watch football and you're getting people into the door and there's excitement around it, I mean, it's I think it's a bad idea. Well then, Kyle well, has stated bad idea. I,
1: I mean, I tend to poo poo most ideas anyway, and some of them probably are actually good ideas, but I don't see this making sense for a casino you know. or making sense for a person either. So
0: yeah, I can't, I can't really see it taking off. Unless there's some angle, like some sort of daily fantasy angle or something like that.
1: Yeah, like like why would I go to a sports book in a casino where I can't bet?
0: I mean, they wouldn't call it uh, a sports book. It's a they'd sports book. They call would. it a Buffalo Wild Wings. Yeah. <laughs> so Caesar should open a Buffalo Wild Wings. Is what I'm saying. Yes. Uh, I think that pretty much covers the content, the news. Uh, I just want to point out that we have well over 100 Facebook group members. So since the last episode, we passed 100, and I think we're now over 110. Uh, so definitely very cool. All, a lot of that's a response to the last episode where people were very interested, uh, and it got a lot of pickup, and everybody was kind of talking about it. Everybody was talking about it, 100% of the population. Uh, and I see that we're now at 120 members. So... Very cool. Uh, lots of good conversation there. Definitely, it's actually been helpful for me because a lot of people have pointed out little things like that Huffington Post article that I never would have noticed if Mark hadn't posted it in the Facebook group. And, uh, very cool. So if you go to Facebook.com slash groups slash do for a win, you will find it. You can join in the conversation, talk about your casino trips, comment on other people's casino trips, ask questions about gambling and all that stuff. So, uh, definitely go check that out. Several of those group members are actually going to VIMP, which is the Vegas Internet Mafia Family Picnic featuring Vegas Tripping, Vegas Gang, Vegas Made iOS App, 500 by Midnight, Vegas Fanboy. Uh, you can bet on that. Denton, Dallas, and Beyond. Several other podcasts. Basically a laundry list of Vegas and Vegas-related podcasts. Uh, if you were listening to this podcast, you have probably heard of VIMF. So if you go and you see each other, definitely do the secret do-for-a-win handshake that doesn't actually exist. And uh, I don't know what that will get you, but you will be around other Atlantic City fans. And you can commiserate about how you're in Vegas, but you really wish that you were at the Boardwalk Bar, the Boardwalk Saloon <laughs> at Bally's, and not in, in Las Vegas. Uh, so, speaking of meetups, we are doing something bigger and better than the Vegas Internet Mafia Family Picnic. Way bigger. <laughs> Way bigger. You know, they're they're yes. filling the D showroom.
1: I don't want to brag, but I think last time we did something, four people came. Four people. Yeah, that's, that's a, lot. a lot. So, I think we have at least that many who's already said they're going to come to this though, yeah. so... It shouldn't be smaller. It will not be smaller. So we... so It will be bigger. I will go out on a limb and guarantee. And here's why
0: it will be bigger. Because last time, I think even the episode before the meetup, we didn't provide a set time or place. And we <laughs> said, just follow the Twitter. We'll, we'll mention it. It'll be fine. Well, here we are. It's September 17th. We're a month and a half away. And we are giving you a time and a place and a date for this, I guess date is part of time, for this event. So on November 4th, Friday, November 4th, 7.30 p.m., we will be at the Mountain Bar again. You can meet up with us. You can talk about Atlantic City. You can talk about comps. You can ask Eric all the questions that have been burning in your mind since episode 23. And we will probably have a few drinks there and then maybe head to a craps table or a blackjack table, or uh, I jokingly said that I would give Pi Gaus Tiles lessons on how to, you know, split. When you've got two pairs, you split them, and you make, like, five, four, and then you put everybody on the table on tilt, uh, which I actually did once, but it wasn't two <laughs> pairs, but I think I had, like, you know... You had, like, nine, eight, or something, <laughs> and then you made, like, six, yeah. three. I think there was a Wong in there that I didn't make. <laughs> um, <laughs> If you don't know PyGal tiles, we're just like none of this makes sense. Same Any words sense? that don't make no. sense. Um, yeah. So seven thirty p.m. Friday, November fourth, at the Mountain Bar. Uh, hopefully, this much advance notice will help. Hopefully, the fact that it's a little later, because the last one was at five, will help because it'll give people a chance to get there. And it would be great to see everybody there. So anybody who happens to be in town, anybody who wants to make the special trip, uh, I'd like to say will make it worth your while. I can't really say that because, you know. Who knows if you will find us interesting or entertaining. Um, but uh, it should be a good time. It was a great time last time, I will say. And it was good. It was very fun. So a lot of beers were had. Many beers, ha- hangovers were created. Many beers had during beer pong in particular, which I would I would say we will condense the beer pong portion. And maybe not no make point. it such a focus. <laughs> yeah. uh, so please come out to that. Uh, well, you know, if you're interested and if you are planning to go, let us know in the Facebook group or the email on Twitter or whatever. And um, just so that we know to look out for you. And cool. I'll also post something on the site. Like I'll post a separate standalone post saying, this is awesome on the site, on the Facebook group, on Twitter, yeah. Basically yeah. saying like rival Vimp event. Um <laughs> <laughs> Don't go to Vimp yeah. cancel your plane ticket and come to Atlantic City and This sit. is what, three weeks later? Like you don't yeah. you can't go to both. Uh, no. Plenty, yeah. I at least I think two people are going to both, so yeah. um it's as I said, I'm I'm calling this sort of a do for a win anniversary event because
1: Yeah, it's about it. It's been about I mean, a year. it'll be
0: right around a year, so Yeah. So that's it. November 4th, 7.30 p.m. at the Mountain Bar at Bally's. Be there. Be there. Yeah, so I think that's it for this episode. I think we went way, way longer than I thought we were, although I have some editing to do. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say some things happen in the middle of the episode that will never make it to air. Yeah, well, maybe. They'll... Mostly on Craig's yeah.
1: side. I'd say entirely on Craig's
0: side. Actually, you, you may hear some of them after the, uh, the theme music closes out. Uh, so again, the Facebook group is <laughs> facebookcom slash do for a win. The website is doforawin.com. You can find our podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, everywhere that podcasts are not sold but given away. The Twitter is at Do for a Win, and you can send questions to Do for a win at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and good luck if you're headed to Atlantic City.
1: Indeed, we will talk to you guys in a few weeks, and hopefully uh, we are trying to put something special together for our next episode. Uh, There aren't any details yet, but uh, we're working on it.
0: Yeah, talk to you soon.
1: I just talked about sort of the original plans of nightclubs and restaurants and small casino stuff, and then you were talking about the eighth casino operator, and then Paul hell broke loose.
0: Yeah, and it's still the sirens still.
1: It's still there. Yeah, yeah, I hear it. It's gonna be a fun one to edit, Craig. Hope you enjoy yourself. <laughs>
0: uh